G'day and thanks for joining us for another Australia Talks podcast, the official podcast of the r slash Australian subreddit. I'm DK and I'm joined as always by my two lovely co-hosts, uh, Deet and Panda Bear. Today is Tuesday, the 13th of June and our topics this week are the banning of Nazi symbols in Australia and the death of the humble bank check. Then we'll jump into this week in Australian history with Panda Bear and finish off as always with the 4X bottle top question. But before we get into all of that, how are you two today? Ah, I'm all right. So, just been studying, working, same as usual. Uh, read some really boring articles about marketing. I think that has got to be the most boring topic in the earth. Ironically, you would think that they should make it more interesting. Well, one would think so, but um, I just can't get my head around SQLs and um, big data and all that sort of stuff. I just really don't understand it. But it's part of the course that I'm studying, so I'm going to just have to hand to persevere. Huh. Well, I'm, the, glad, I'm glad it's the, you, not me. The, the former Prime Minister, uh, Scott Morrison, uh, started in marketing. You should give him a call. He might be able to help you out. <laughs> Um, I'll pass on that one. Yeah, I have integrity and honesty and ethics. <laughs> <laughs> Where the bloody hell are you? Just as I couldn't help myself. Water. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> and that's been fill- that's been filling up your time, Panda Bear. Um, yeah, I've had a few nibbles about my new business and that, so which I can't really talk about in public, but um. Yeah, so I'm up to 15 students now with my new school that I started, so it's sort of going ahead a little bit. So. Oh, excellent. That's that's very that's very positive. Uh, I had uh, – we had to get our security camera system upgraded, The which was a little bit frustrating. It's only about, um, only about seven years old, but the main thing that does the recording from all the cameras we have around the – the place carked it, and unfortunately, the I suppose it's I suppose it's just a variation of a computer. Um, the new the new cameras have got extra security um, like passwords and that in that requires a new thing. So we had to get our bloody cameras replaced as well as the actual system. Oh. Yeah, Why is that not surprising? Planned obsolescence. Eh? Yeah, look, look. This, this. We've look. We've been with these people uh, a little while and used them in in a couple of places. So I've got a high level of confidence that they're not just, uh, you know, selling it uh, upselling. You know, that he he certainly did. He did try to source an old thing, uh, like the, because the system we got the the record. Or is obsolete. He did try to source one for us, but couldn't do it. So, but yeah, that was that was a little bit frustrating. However, I've got to got to say the new uh, the the new cameras, their beautiful resolution, uh, and nice and clear at night. They put out the infrared beam, so we've sort of got coverage around the entire house and and property and yeah. Back to basic. The compound, and yeah, the barbed yeah, wire yeah. fence, and the- yeah. well, the compound. Yeah, you know, it's, it's 
sounds a bit compounding, but look, I you know, I, I think it's sort of that that basic security. You know, anyone who sort of goes through the fence is is re- recorded, and it is back to base a alarm. But one of the things I do particularly like is because the new camera is a lot uh, sort of smoother and shaped differently. We've got less instance, instance, instances, God, get that word out, less instances of spiders building their web over the camera because uh. it was a constant thing that I'd look at it at night and what you'd see at night was just you know, like a it's bit a of a spider web. leg there. <laughs> And spider webs, whereas now it seems hard for them to to build. So yeah, that's me. That was that was a good. Ultimately, was a good upgrade. Threw a few bucks at it, which I didn't wasn't happy with. But you know, the house is back to the security that I want and covered a corner that was uh, was always bugging me. What about you, DK? What have you been up to? I had an MRI last week, last ah. Wednesday. And uh, do you recognize this sound? (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot, it's a lot louder than that. Um, and and going on, you know, a little bit about what you said last week about the colonoscopy thing. I, um, it was a I've had an MRI before, uh, and but this one was was uh imaging sort of my my it was specifically for my upper neck but it was my upper neck but they also wanted sort of my my sort of mid spine i guess so they basically scanned from my belly button uh basically up to to my eyeballs i guess um that's a lot yeah so they scanned a lot and as a result i was in the machine for 40 minutes and i'll tell you what if you ever have to have an mri going into the machine head first is uh not not the nicest thing it's it is quite small it's got a little bit i'm not claustrophobic or anything like that but uh when you're in there for a while it does certainly um it isn't the most pleasant experience however i had to wear this uh like a face shield type device apparently they get better images when you wear it uh which i wasn't too impressed i think she could tell because she said oh you don't have to and i was like no 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 if you're gonna do it we're gonna do it once and we're gonna do it right um so that sort of upped up to the ante but Afterwards, um, I looked at the images because uh, you can basically see them straight away, uh, and it was kind of cool to see uh, all, all my insides, I guess. Uh, and I could actually see uh, the bottom half of my brain, which is sort of a, a bit of a surreal experience, uh, being able to to stare at your brain. Um, they were able to magnify something that small. <laughs> yeah, yeah, incredibly. I've got a huge, <laughs> huge hole. It turns out, yeah, it's very, very tiny. Um, mostly nothing up there. <laughs> um, as my wife says, I'm full of hot air. So, um, but no, it was, it was definitely one of those experiences that I would say wasn't particularly uh, pleasant. But I'm glad I had it done uh, because it sort of eliminated some, uh, you know, some of the options we had in terms of treatment and things like that. So ticked a box and and we can go on but uh you know running the theme of what we said last week if you do need uh some uh healthcare interventions don't don't uh don't put them off go and get it done um and you know you'll be a lot better for it um if i can do it sit in a machine for 40 minutes with my attention span anyone can i think um yeah, I, I agree. There's a, there's remarkable advances. A mate of mine has just had um, 
like he's just had open heart surgery the other day, two new valves in there, and obviously he's, you know, it's going to be a little bit of a recovery time. However, uh, if he hadn't done his tests, listened to his doc, listened to his doctor, and followed the um, the, the processes, well, basically be dead. Really, is the, the, yeah, the bottom right. bottom line for it, and what they can what they can do nowadays is forget Hollywood, listen to reality, and reality is there's so many processes now that are, are proven and have a, a standard there that it helps your health, it helps you, and it helps your your family, and it gives you longevity. That's it. And if you're under, if you're under, you know, 40 today, you'll probably live till you're 200 years old or something. So um, look after your health. You, you only get one body and you need to look after it at least a little bit. Um, and, and we can see, you know, how, how long you'll live for. Speaking of places that have lived possibly a little bit too long, this week we're going to try, uh, we're going to be introducing a new segment, uh, Two Ticks Town Talk, where we explore a small Australian town's unique character and shine a little light on some of the smaller places around the country. What we'll try and do is we'll aim to do a different state or territory each week. We'll pick a little town, tell us, uh, spend maybe a minute or two going over some of the some of the cool things, some of the cool characters and some of the unique things that make Australia great. Now... Talking about making Australia great again, public displays of Nazi hate symbols will soon be criminalised in Australia in a sweeping set of reforms. Attorney General Mark Dreyfus announced last Wednesday that the federal government will introduce the Counter-Terrorism Legislation Amendment, Prohibited Hate Symbols and Other Measures Bill. It's quite a mouthful. Outlining a ban on symbols related to Nazis or the SS, including flags, armbands, T-shirts in public and online with a maximum penalty of up to 12 months imprisonment. Attorney General Mark Dreyfus said that tackling far-right extremism was a priority of the federal government and the measures will work alongside the moves some of the states have already made to ban Nazi symbols in their jurisdictions. And I quote, This bill is going to complement the work of the states and ensure that there are no loopholes and that we will... We will have all governments working together to ban the display and trade of these evil symbols. End quote. The bill will not ban the use the uses of the swastika due to the religious significance of the symbol in Hinduism, Buddhism, and Jainism. The Nazi salute is also not going to be covered by the ban. And I quote, The Nazi salute is an offensive gesture that has no place in Australian society. But we think that the banning of these gestures is a matter for the state and territory laws. Attorney General Mark Dreyfus said, the move to ban the Nazi symbols has been welcomed by researchers of the far-right extremism in Australia and, of course, by the Jewish community. Deakin University researcher Dr. Josh Roos said Nazi symbolism plays a role in recruitment. And I quote, They are treating the symbol in terms of addressing the rise of the far-right movements that have been using them. End quote. 
What we really need to be done is to address the broader, deeper issues that have given these a rise. Here we're talking about the increasing socioeconomic inequalities. We're talking about regions that are really facing significant socioeconomic challenges. People that are feeling marginalized, alienated, they're angry, and that requires a whole government approach. It requires a realignment of our economic approaches. It requires consideration of the role of our education system. And it requires a broader conversation about the polarization that we've seen emerge in Australia. Australia over the last half decade, Dr. Roos said. The promise of national legislation sending a message to far-right groups has long been called, by, called for by many groups targeted by Nazis, mostly the Jewish community. The Jewish Community Council of Victoria President Daniel Agion says that there has been a near 40% uptick in anti-Semitic incidences within Australia in the last two years. I think this is also, part of this isn't just the uprising Nazis, but part of this is the anti-Semitism that we saw around COVID vaccine misinformation um, and everything that sort of stemmed from that. It sort of snowballed into it. But there's a lot to unpack here. Um, Adit, tell me how you feel about this. Look, I'd agree there's a lot to unpack, and I'm in a little bit of a quandary about this one, to be honest. Uh, I understand the hate speech and the offence argument. I, I think that's pretty black and white and clear-cut. However, I also think there is a free speech argument for this. Look, personally, I'm happy to let the, the dickheads label themselves. That's that's one of the things that I like about uh, things being out in the open. You can work out which businesses you don't want to have anything to do with, which people you don't want to have anything to do with, which groups you don't want to have anything to do with it. Do with. Uh, as soon as you push these things underground, then that becomes less transparent. Uh, I'm not 100% sure which way I'm going to fall on this, but if I have to, I'm going to stay true to my my, my free speech position. Uh, I think 12 months in prison for displaying a, a symbol, which to me is similar to, you know, saying a word, Seems an unreasonably high sentence to me. And I know that's up to twelve months, and you can argue that 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 includes you know one day. However, it's it's there and it's in place. A uh, couple of things that bothers me is uh, it's said in there both the physical and online displays of the Nazi. I don't know how you pronounce that. Harken Kruis or the, the swastika. Uh, or SS memorabilia would be preferred. How are they going to be policing online displays? And it always it always bothers me these little wedges that governments put into uh, areas in which I think we should be having more more freedom. I also think to that uh, comment that the law will not outlaw the use of Nazi salutes, which is a matter for the state and territory governments. 
that bothered me, and I'm, I'll say up front, this may be a complete misunderstanding on my behalf or ignorance, complete ignorance on my behalf, but I didn't understand how you could ban those symbols but say, well, this salute is for the, the state and territory. I didn't understand why it wasn't a, a case of it's all state and territory or it's all, all federal. But look, my bottom line before I, I sashay over to you, we sashay over to you, Panda Bear, is I don't feel that outlawing a, an image or a symbol is a good path to go down because the people who are doing it, I don't trust with that power. What about yeah. you, Panda Bear? Well, my sort of take on it is um, I can understand where the federal government is saying that it goes back to the upstate governments because each state government has their own Crimes Act. Um, so they need to um, put in there. There's no federal Crimes Act as far as I know that would cover that. Um, so going back, you know, the states need to make the legislation. And I think most of the states have already made that legislation anyway. Um the only thing the federal government can do is to stop it from being used in Parliament House or anywhere there's a federal government jurisdiction. So um, as far as the symbol itself goes, um, the Nazi salute is very similar to the Black Power salute. So, um, <laughs> you know, if you forget to open your hand, um, <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, yeah, the Nazi symbol. I haven't heard that angle before, but as as soon as you said that, I had the image in my head, and God, yeah, okay, that's an interesting comment. Yeah, um, yeah, the swastika. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, should be banned. It's a symbol of hate. Um, freedom of speech. Um, you mentioned about freedom of speech. Uh, Article thirty of the International Convention on Human Rights says that um, basically, um, not word for word, but um, freedom of speech is only um, applicable insofar as it doesn't um, contravene anybody else's freedoms. So um, if you come out and sort of say that um, we hate Jews is freedom of speech, that's a contravention of Article 30, of the Human Rights, of the International Convention on Human Rights, which Australia is signatory to. So, um, yeah, there are limitations on freedoms of speech, ex exactly as there are limitations on how fast your car can go on the roads, exactly the same as the limitations on what you can say uh, in defamation cases. Um, <laughs> that's another subject we should have a talk about one day. Um, defamation cases don't seem to work that well. Um, ask Ben Robert Smith. Um, so, hmm. um, yeah, I think, yeah, symbols of hate, um, yeah, and the Nazism speech and this salute and the Nazi symbol are symbols of hate. Uh, that being said, um, Majority of people that I've met that claim to be Nazis have no no idea what the underlying principles or the underlying ideologies of Nazism are. 
you know, I've asked this of several people in pubs and in groups and um, in forums before. Doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, and they'll just turn around and say, you're trying to make me look stupid. I said, no, 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 I don't have to make you look stupid. You're doing, <laughs> you know, you're doing a pretty good job on your own. So they really have no idea. It goes back to what um, DK said. Um, it's about education. People feel alienated and they want to get somewhere where they can be heard um, without having to have much education. So um, they will go into this Nazi thing. Uh, we can say we're Nazis and people will listen to us um, even though they have no idea what they're talking about. So um, it does come back to an education thing. Um, and <laughs> perhaps that's something the states need to look at too, their education systems. So, um, yeah, and just before we get to, to um, DK's point of view, can you just flesh out a little bit more the that what you were saying about the the federal versus state because look i'm still uh, i'm still a little bit confused how the federal government can outlaw the use of the um the nazi symbols but can't outlaw the use of the nazi salute is that is that something you can speak to panda bear not really i'm not a lawyer i'm just a teacher you know um, yeah, yeah. I took the easy degree so, um, when I went to uni. Um, there is a separation of powers um, in the Constitution. Um, I can't recall which actual section it is. This is separation of powers where um, the federal government can make um, laws in some respects and the state governments make laws in other respects. Um, over a period yeah, of time. I got. I, I, I did. Un, I did. Un, I do understand that as a principle. What I didn't understand was how you can um, what the what the differentiation is between a Nazi symbol and a Nazi salute. I didn't know. Is that is that a cop out or is it a you know is it a legal it thing? Sounds, Maybe it's as sounds to me like a cop out, basically. Um, you know, if they're going to override the state, which they are required and entitled to do, um, they might as well go all out, you know, not just say, um, yeah, okay, in Tasmania, Nazism, Nazi symbols are okay, but in Queensland, they're not. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I think yeah, that's what I that's what I did that's what I didn't understand. Look, who, who know if if you're one of our listeners, um, we we post uh, this in the R. Uh, slash Australian subreddit. So if you can actually shed some more light on this, uh, it'll be appreciated once we, we post it to tomorrow. Just look out for uh, the post in the, the sub. Yeah, but uh, I, yeah, I really don't understand how they can sort of say one thing is and one thing isn't. No, I, no. I really don't understand that. Um, and I've been in politics for 17 years, including working for a senator and... Um, you know, high positions in political parties and, um, yeah, it's just sort of bamboozled me to some respect. But um, that could change in the future. The federal government could come out and they could sort of say all symbols are outlawed. Um, ASIO and ASIS and federal police have all come out and said that the right-wing groups Many of the right-wing groups, um, particularly the neo-Nazis and 
the so-called Nazis who believe they are Nazis, um, are basically terrorist groups. And I can understand from that point of view, terrorism comes under the uh, federal jurisdiction, whereas um, under the Crimes Act, um, symbols could come under the Crimes Act of the individual states, but not being um, that much into law, because yeah, I didn't do very well at law at Sydney University. Um, I am a little bit of a loss to understand the reasoning behind it. Well, I did I did legal studies in year 10, so you're way ahead of me. What about you, DK? What's your legal uh, thing and opinion on this? I would imagine uh, my degree is in contracts law, so I'm, I, I'm also completely at a loss. Uh, but I would imagine it's probably got something to do with the legislation not defining like an action as opposed to a symbol. Um, doing a salute is different than displaying a static, a static symbol because it is an action. And how how you capture someone doing it or something like that. I'm not, I feel like there's, there's, they are two distinct things and probably the legislation required to define the act of doing a Nazi salute probably just wasn't worth the time to throw it into the, into the bill. Um, they were just like, eh, the States can do it. They can regulate it better. <clears throat> they can put it in their crimes act and blah, 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 blah. But I also feel like the States should be the ones to enforce um, and legislate these sorts of things anyway. I feel, I don't know, I feel sort of like, you know, my gut reaction is like, oh, good, you know, less Nazi symbols around is, is good. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, ah, I mean, what was that line that uh, Brad Pitt's character said in Inglorious Bastards? Something like, uh, yeah, when, when a Nazi takes off his uniform, he's hard to spot. But uh, when, when, when Nazis wear Nazi symbols, they're pretty damn easy to see coming. Yeah, um, exactly. So there's part of me that, yeah, there's part of me that sort of goes like, uh, maybe we should let the Nazis wear their symbols and then we can ex immediately identify them for who they are. The opposite of that is also that they use these symbols, they use these things to recruit other people, and that's obviously a horrendously bad thing. And also to, like, harm, you know, like the Jewish community, the LGBT community and stuff like that. And I'm not Jewish and I'm not uh, part of the LGBT community, so it doesn't harm me seeing a swath sticker, uh, you know, out in the wild. It do that doesn't upset me other than the fact that there's a, f a piece of shit human being standing behind that symbol um but i'm not the sort of person that that hatred is necessarily directed at so i'm not gonna i i also feel like i can't sit here and turn around and say ah oh, the government probably overstepped here I, th I feel like if we're gonna ban any symbols it's it's nazi stuff right it's the low-hanging fruit um it's, it's, you know, the swastika is a perfect example. That is only a symbol of an oppressive regime that committed horrendous war crimes and, you know, started the, the worst conflict that the world has ever seen. It's very specific to, to that time period, whereas you get a bit, a little, you know, a little bit more complicated when you start including other symbols like... There are people that are suggesting, oh, well, if we ban this, then maybe we should ban like the hammer and sickle, uh, because obviously the Soviet Union was was such an evil 
regime and it killed so many people and blah, 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 blah. And then you go, well, what about like Maoism? You know, and it starts to snowball into suddenly exactly. everything's banned. Yep. Yeah, right. But I, I feel what, like I sort if of we think, draw a line here. I sort of think like Nazism, um, well, the neo-Nazis as they call themselves, are a sort of hateful sort of people that not necessarily um, following the principles of Nazism, which is basically nationalism in the first place, but they're using this Nazi sort of thing to direct hate at everybody that they disagree with. And most of the Nazis that I've sort of come across and that I've seen online and that I've seen in the media and and working as a prison officer, um, most of the Nazis, they're sort of people that hate everybody because they haven't succeeded in life. Okay? So they hate Asians because Asians come in and take jobs. They hate women because women reject them. They hate um, they hate just about everybody. You know, they hate anybody that's successful because they haven't been successful. They hate anybody that has jobs because they don't have jobs. They hate, you know, the, just the hate goes on. And it's symbol of this, um, and it goes back to the education system, it goes back to the uh, marginalisation in society. But you've got to start somewhere. And this neo-Nazism type thing is just, um, you know, and it, an excuse to say, we're neo-Nazis, our job is to hate everybody because they're successful and we're not. That's yeah, my it's, point. It's, it's like it becomes a, a, a vehicle and a, a framework rather than uh, a, a, you know, a, a, a well-understood ideology. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And I think that also lends credence more into the idea of banning them for the sake of banning them, not because we're trying to f suppress free speech, but because the people that are using these sorts of symbols are abusing them. They're deliberately picking them because they know the yep. significance of... Um, you know, the, the, the hatred in that. Um, I, I just feel really bad for some of these religious organizations like the, the Hindu uh, um, and Buddhism uh, because obviously the swastika, it, it is different. Like it's the same, but different. It's very obvious a Nazi swastika compared to say like a Buddhist or a Hindu swastika. Um, well, I mean, it's not just, I mean, just as a correction there, it's not a Nazi swastika, the Nazis, um, you know. They co-opted. Co-opted yeah. co co that, that symbol. Yeah, and you do, they, you they, do often see that, see it's, it's, it's got a shorter, um, I don't even know the term for it, but the, the ends of it are, are shorter and sometimes they're even, even reversed. And, and my understanding is those are exempt. Yes, yes. Th those, as far as I understand, those are exempt. So the question now we're going to see is, are these quote-unquote Nazis all going to just be like, oh, no, I'm a Buddhist now and, and continue to use them and try and skirt the laws? I, I, I would expect that they possibly will and we'll we'll see some pushback from the federal yep. government and maybe we'll, we'll have to make some examples of some people um you know, in those sorts of situations. But this, uh, overall, I think this is a good thing moving forward. Um, what I don't want to see is 
the federal government start to ban other things. I think draw the line in the sand here unless something very clearly of a similar nature and as and of a similar uh, like level of evil comes up. D- just you can't just run around banning everything. I think well, that like, needs to be like made clear. The, um, the, like for example, the Ukrainian Nazis. I mean, we, we before yeah. you know, we might be sending money to them. Yeah, um, that's a whole. That's that's a whole thing. <laughs> look, but, but I mean, that's. Look, I'm, I'm I'm being a little bit flippant and provocative there. Obviously, How, however, there are. There are genuine Nazis in Ukraine displaying their symbols online. In fact, even the freaking New York Post ended up having to capitulate and say that it was a difficult situation because it um, supported... it was the New York Times, not the New York Post. Oh, sorry, sorry, the New, York, New York Times. Yeah, the New York, York, the New York, New York Post York is, like a, yeah. is like a tabloid magazine. Yeah. Well, yeah, yes, sorry. Th- thank you for that correction because the New York Times is the one. That, like, the New York Times used to talk about the Nazi problem in Ukraine then the war started. The New York Times is is so enmeshed with the military-industrial complex it's no wonder they, they cucked. But uh, they did have an article talking about the problem of of uh, Ukrainian Nazis displaying this uh, symbol. In fact, I think it might have they uh, similar symbols to when um, John Stewart from the Daily Show pinned a medal on one of the Ukrainian Nazis. So, how you uh, work with something like that, where they are those symbols online? Which came back to that bit that I said. I'm not sure how that's going to police. I mean, how do you how do you police something like that? Do you say, well, we can we can send money over to Ukraine and their um, battalions that have have open Nazis in it, but we can't actually show pictures. Uh, sorry, Arthur, I disagree with you there. Like, I don't think that um, the battalions in the um I don't think the battalions in the Ukrainian army overwhelmingly have Nazis in them. You know, sorry. So, did you, did you say over- overwhelmingly or don't have Nazis in them? They don't overwhelmingly have Nazis in them. They may be. So a- they, they they do have Nazis in them. No, they may it's have. The, it's the Azov battalion. And- yeah, for, that's it's, one. It's that's one, that's, that's one, the yeah. most famous one. Our topic is yeah. about um, the Nazism symbols here, here in Australia, not what's happening in Ukraine. Um, no, no, I, I, I'm, I'll, just, I'll push back a little. Because it, it's a war in Europe, and generally we have been fairly supportive of what happens in Europe. Okay, and I don't think you can say that. The Ukrainian army is overwhelmingly Nazi. No, um, I didn't. St- I'm not. I'm not. Cl- I'm not claiming that. But what I, what I, in the, um, in the, um, resistance forces, um, that are Nazis, but I don't think they're part of the Ukrainian army. I don't. I, I personally haven't seen any evidence of that. But this topic is about Australian laws, not what's happening in Ukraine. Yeah, well, that was that was why I brought that up because it said in the thing that the um, uh, both physical and online displays of uh, the swastika or SS memorabilia will be prohibited. 
which means that there will be certain um, instances where we can't show pictures of battalions that Australian taxpayers' monies have supported because those some some, not all, not the majority, but some of those members are openly it. displaying um, Nazi uh, symbols. They 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 don't they don't use that symbol anymore. So in 2015, it's the Azov Battalion. They actually changed the logo. Unfortunately, it's just that a lot of these guys continue to wear the old logos. It, it's also a it, I should say it's a um it's like a national guard, like an army reserve type group. So these guys aren't professional soldiers full time. Um, part of this also blew up because the Azov Battalion uh, was based in the city of Mariupol, which, if you remember from last year, was a real thorn in the side of the Russians. And it was back in 2014 as well. And so they, the Russians, before the invasion, they really kicked up a big fuss about this whole Nazi thing because the Azov Battalion based at Mariupol had been a real thorn in their side back in 2014 and actually like stopped some of the advances that they wanted to do and things like that. So there's sort of more to this than just there's Nazis in Ukraine and we're supporting Nazis. That That is somewhat true, but like with all things, there's a lot more nuance to what's going on. And honestly, a lot of the Azov Battalion are dead. So most of these guys... <laughs> don't exist anymore some of them obviously still do but a lot of them don't and i think ukraine itself has been trying to nip this in the bud pretty seriously because of uh you know a few i'm gonna be honest there's probably neo-nazis in the friggin australian army in the um in the army reserve um you know they don't they don't on the form they don't ask you if you are a neo nazi but a lot of the right wing uh, groups that we're seeing in australia some of them are old soldiers some of them are old sailors and airmen and i can tell you for a fact a lot of the outlaw biking gangs in australia were created from vietnam veterans so you know yes there may be still some nazis in the Ukrainian Defence Force, but I'm going to tell you now, there's probably full-blown Nazis in almost every defence force in around the world. It sort of comes... Pe these sorts of people sort of are attracted to that sort of job, unfortunately, and a lot of these guys can can hide this stuff quite well as well. You know, they don't say the quiet part out loud often. Um, and unfortunately, that means that sometimes with these extreme ideologies end up in these positions... Um, and, you know, I think when they're in the Defence Force, uh, it's not such a problem because they are uh, sort of controlled and they have the hierarchy and, and that kind of stuff. Um, their leaders can nip that in the bud. It, it's unfortunately probably more when they get out um, and they and they leave the Defence Force and um, are out in the wild and, you know, can act on these... Uh, terrible impulses that they seem to have. So, speaking of being out in the wild, <laughs> let's bring this back. Uh, I think it's time for Two Ticks Town Talk. So, this week's town 
is in Western Australia, a little town called Bosselton. has a population of 28,651. So it is a fairly big town. This was as of 2021. It's located along the coast between Margaret River and Perth, just south of Perth. So what is so interesting about the town of Bosselton? I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. If I'm not, please let me know. It has the longest timber-piled jetty in the Southern Hemisphere, and I want you two to guess how long do you think it is in meters? As long, longest timber timber-piled jetty, as in the the type of jetty you would expect someone to go out and walk and fish on, or something that is there for industrial purposes. It's both. It's open to the public. Uh, you can walk okay. out to the end of it. Um, but previously, and the reason it was built is because it was used for, um, like, commercial ships and things like that would come to the end of it and, and that sort of stuff. So, mm. Okay. Well, then I'm going to go 800 metres. I'll say 1,600. I want to be twice as good as I be. Oh, you want to, <laughs> you want to you want to go a mile? One point six k. This is a mile, isn't it? Yes, uh, yeah, roughly, approximately. So it is. Uh, drum roll, please. One thousand eight hundred and forty-one meters long. For our international listeners, that's one point one miles. Wow. The jetty's construction commenced in 1864, and the first section was open in 1865. The jetty was extended numerous times until the 1960s, ultimately reaching its final length of 1,841 metres. Today, as I said, the jetty is open to the public, and there is an observatory that was built uh, at the end of it in December 2003. It was opened, and it's an underwater observatory, which is really, really cool. Uh, so, at almost at the end of the jetty, uh, it can accommodate up to 40 people at a time. It's uh, sort of like a, a nine and a half metre diameter, I guess, uh, like cylinder straight down. It descends eight metres to the sea below. So, it is it is very shallow, which is why the, the pier is so long. Um, so, it's only eight metres below sea level that you can go down to. But I did look at some pictures online and it looked really 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 cool so there's there's 11 viewing windows at sort of different levels and you can sort of spiral down look through look at the different wildlife uh apparently you can see you know a bit of coral uh there's kelp and lots of fish and all sorts of things going on in the small western australian town of bustleton huh very good oh so i was close you were close you were very close um yeah so this all came about because I was Googling, uh, I just out of interest, I was walking along a local jetty myself and it wasn't particularly long. It was probably, I don't know, 20, 30 meters long. And I thought to myself, I wonder where the longest jetty is in Australia, uh, which led me down a, a little bit of a Googling rabbit hole. And uh, once I saw the one at Postleton, I thought, oh, this is this will be quite cool to bring to people's attention. I'm sure if you live in Perth or something like that, you probably know all about this. You might have even been there yourself. Uh, but if you're not from Western Australia, it's probably put on your list of places to visit when you go next time you're there. Oh, very yeah. interesting. It's quite interesting. 
Yeah, I wonder if you can uh, buy a ticket to the observatory with a check. <laughs> that is a perfect, a perfectly good question. And the answer is yes, until 2030. So this week, uh, sorry, last Wednesday, the treasurer, Jim Chalmers, has signed the Czech's death warrant to end its use in Australia by 2030 as part of a range of payment reforms for the digital era. In a speech uh, to the Australian Banking Association in Sydney, Chalmers said that there will be a ni- there has been a ninety percent decline in the use of checks over the last ten years alone, but it remains a legacy payment method. While other economies have transitioned to digital payments, uh, we are left. In the olden days, <laughs> uh, Chalmers uh, said that 98% of personal checks and 100% of those used in institutional and commercial settings could have been serviced through internet or mobile banking, and that using a check is really a costly way of doing business. The government will now begin the process of winding down the use of checks across the banking system with federal departments to use other payment methods by the year 2028. A goal has been set to the end the use of checks completely by 2030. And the decision comes as part of the government's strategic plan for Australia's payment system released on Wednesday, which will set out a roadmap to modernise the country's payment infrastructure and set it up for the future. So payments are on track. Uh, sorry, payments are the tracks on which our economy runs, Chalmers said, which means that improvements here make everything more efficient reducing costs for households and businesses, freeing up resources and can, that can be used to grow the economy. The roadmap outlines five areas for reform, much of which will be covered in the May's budget under separate initiatives, including resiliency and security of payment infrastructure, including reducing scams and boosting cybersecurity. I like those uh, reducing scams and boosting cybersecurity. Sounds good. Uh, number two, modernization, including phasing out checks and transitioning from the old clearing system to the new payment platforms. Three, technology advances, including digital digital ID, consumer digital rights, and already announced consultation on AI. So this is a bit of a funny one. I don't really know. It's very vague, and I think we'll... We may have to come back and do this as a separate uh, a separate topic one day. Uh, number four, piloting a central bank digital currency and becoming a leader in global payments through the G20 and the Pacific. And number five, improving payment system transparency and collaboration between agencies as well as consultation on the Reserve Bank's mandate. So, and I quote, Our vision is to create a modern, world-class and efficient payment system that is safe, trusted and accessible and enables greater competition, innovation and productivity across the economy. Unquote. That's what Jim Chalmers has said, the treasurer. Despite the shift to digital payments, the government has said that it is committed to keeping Australians able to access cash. 
which is really good. That kind of put my fears at ease. Though, I wouldn't surprise me if they turn around later on and, and change their tune on that one. So, my question to, to the two of you and, uh, and to all of our listeners, when was the last time you actually wrote a check? I've ever, personally, I've ever only used them for business transactions, uh, mostly like deposits of cash, which technically isn't really the same thing, but... Um, but I've never actually used a personal check ever in my life. I've never written a personal check. Wow. Don't need to. It's I don't even have a checkbook. Never have. I've never had a checkbook because I've never needed one. Hey, there you go. Ah, look. It's, it's not seriously. something I regularly use. So say they can DK. Uh, no, seriously, I've never I've never used I've used a couple of bank checks before. But that's sort of a different thing. Oh, I had flagged. Um, I had flagged bank checks as a as, as a, a, a point of irritation. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll kick this off, Panda Bear. Uh, I don't tend to use checks much, but I have um, received checks and uh, used checks. Uh, pr- probably. The last time I did it was about, I don't know, I I suppose it was about three years ago, which, you know, is is probably pretty recent for a lot of people who don't even know, who can't even write freaking cursive, Uh, (laughs) which is probably not that that long ago. I don't use them now, and I think the – I can understand the principle of why you would get rid of the check, but the the little thing that stuck in my craw when you mentioned that with the bank check, and you you'd you may not remember this, DK, because you're a lot longer than Panda Bear and myself. But do you remember Panda Bear when a bank check was as good as cash? You you have that memory? Yeah, I used to work at a bank. Yeah, exactly. So it used to be you'd take a you'd take a check if you had a bank check. You could basically go into any other bank and say, here's my bank check, and it's as good as cash. And I had a note down here for this this topic. That was one of the things uh, a few years ago when we had, I uh, can't remember whether we, it was a deposit for a car or it was something like that, got a bank check and went in to just put it down into the um, account for the, the, the place. They said that'll take three days to, to clear. I thought, ah. Oh, Okay, well, suddenly things have changed, and that to me was when I started to feel a little bit of the 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 death knell. So I do have a couple of comments on uh, the government's strategic plan for Australia's payment system, which we'll get to. But Panda Bear, I wouldn't mind hearing when you last used a check because you and I are similar age. Um, I. Really can't remember the last time I used a check, but I know I have received checks uh, for payment in my business, uh, particularly from older people um, who aren't internet savvy, um, that are a little bit uncomfortable with um, using internet payments. Um, They do send me checks from time to time, and I think we need to take that into account. I think where Jim Chalmers is coming across is the government wants to stop using checks. Um, once upon a time, you used to get your tax return by a tax check. Um, now it just sort of goes straight into your account. Um, 
but there are still a lot of people that don't eat, um, not a lot, but um, there are still a number of people, particularly older people, um, that don't trust internet banking, don't trust um, online banking. Um, yeah, I think it's sort of something, 2028 is a little bit too early to phase it out. Um, there's probably only going to be about, I don't know, I'm just taking a guess, maybe 5% of people that would still use checks. Um, I know the facility is still available to banks. Um, I know it's expensive for banks. Um, I sort of feel like this is catering to the banks to cut down their costs to some extent and also mm. for the government to cut down their costs. Um, but as I said... Yeah, I mean, well, he, he does say that because a, a cheque is a costly... You know, it's it, as a physical thing, it does take time to process. The, like I said, the only time I've ever used a check is in banking, uh, in in business. Sorry, business banking, and oftentimes it was incredibly frustrating because I would have to go to the bank to to. Um, you know, bank the check as opposed to all my other clients who were paying me digitally. Uh, there was no additional work for me. There was no additional processing or anything like that. So, you know, from my own experience, checks were kind of frustrating because it meant I had to do, I know it sounds a bit petty, but it's like, oh, you had to get in the car and go to the bank. whoop de do. But compared to, uh, you know, I could use that time for other things is what I'm trying to say. So it, it's sort of like an inefficient pr process that ties up uh, time time and work in our economy that really doesn't need to be there anymore. Yeah, there's no real reason why they can't because um, back in the day when I worked at the bank, which was back in the 1970s, um, <laughs> Sorry, I, you, you, something skipped yeah. there. Skip there, Panda Bear. When, when was that? <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, oh, 1980s, okay, so uh, show me age here. Um, they had micro-encoding on them, and um, every bank branch had a micro-encoding reading, so uh, it was just a matter of typing in the amount, um, the account number, the BSB, everything was on it, and you could scan it and would go into the computer straight away, which was very similar to online banking. So um, there's no reason for three days clearance for checks. It can yeah. be... Yeah, it can be processed straight away. Uh, for some reason, the banks don't want to. Um, I could be a conspiracy theorist and say, well, they have that money, they can invest it in the short-term money market. Uh, but, of course, the banks would never do that. So, no, no it can't be, can't be that. It must be something else. Yeah, and I can't for the life of me imagine what. Maybe it's something about keeping us safe. Potentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, and it's for the kids, okay? Um, <laughs> so that's always another good one. Um, yeah. So sorry I'm being um, a little bit cavalier about this. Um, yep. Uh, <laughs> even with um, the microencoding, they can scan it and it goes into the computer straight away, which is exactly the same as online banking. Um, majority of people don't seem to understand that, so the banks can get away with saying no, no, no. It's because of the way the banking system's set up. Um, 
Personally, yeah. I haven't used a cheque for many, many years, um, apart from receiving them for payments from business, uh, from older customers, and um, from overseas. I get cheques overseas sometimes. That's a little bit harder to do, but... Um, All your shell money comes in cheques, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, <laughs> but um, never mind. Um, we had a chuck feeder garden in there somewhere. Um, so, yeah, I think 2028 is a little bit ambitious to get rid of checks. Um, I think, yeah, maybe 2050 or something like that. Whenever, when all of us are dead, these checks. <laughs> Yeah, look, maybe it's a bit ambitious. Look, the, the part that uh, di- disturbed me a little bit, uh, the comment, this decision comes as part of the government's strategic plan for Australia's payment system. There were two points in there. The technology advancements include a digital, including digital ID, you know, these the, the things that they slip in there to say, you know, everything's going to be great. Here's the razzle-dazzle. Here's the glitter. By the way, this is what's under the thing. A digital ID, that bothers me. We're going back 45 years to the, um, you know, government. Yep, exactly. And before people <laughs> jump on me, this is not a, a bash on a, a bash on, on Labor because the LNP, the coalition, have been just as freaking bad on it, so um, they just happen to be the ones that that tried to to push that that oppressive rubbish through. What 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 was that? I find myself agreeing with you. Yeah. Oh God. Well. <laughs> Shit. You must be making a good point here. Yeah. <laughs> God. Well, maybe I should just sign off now. But yeah. And That's the other one. What? Well. <laughs> the other one that bothered me about the uh, strategic plan for Australia's payment system was the central bank digital currency. Now, I, in an open ledger, um, transparent system, I can sort of get a bit of board on board with with that a bit more public, but the options and a potential for abuse of a central bank digital currency are just so enormous that it bothers me that there is just such a lack of pushback to the privacy and freedom of this this proposal and that it's just getting pushed through to all the you know four yearly sausage sizzlers with no real introspection those two issues particularly bothered me uh, with with um, uh, th- this program. Yeah, so the uh, I agree with you. The digital ID thing, they've been trying to push this for years and years and years, and I, I'm oh, sure one day they'll get it through. But the, the idea is, and I think, I think this is other places in the world have a similar thing where you have the digital ID, you, have, you know, everything's connected to it. Uh, it it's, I think it sounds really good on paper, 
but then you realize it's the government we're talking about and yep. suddenly it's it's you know it's terrible having everything linked to one sounds convenient and amazing and if it could be 100% secure and not abused and da 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 then sure it would be great but obviously you know we're talking about literally the most incompetent group of people that have ever lived uh, in control <laughs> of this sort of thing so uh, not a great idea. However, the, this central bank digital currency um, is uh, – it, it's an interesting idea. Basically, uh, they – so uh, right now there are two forms of money that the Reserve Bank issues and controls. Obviously, physical money like cash – uh, as we know them, the banknotes and everything like that. And of course, the digital version of that, that is like the, you know, you open your internet banking and you see your accounts, the numbers on the screen and that kind of stuff. Um, this would be something entirely new and basically is government issued crypto. Um, yep. yep, that's exactly, the, that's exactly right. Yeah, so they're going to use the the blockchain technology uh, to create this uh, government issued crypto that then they can use to uh, essentially use the blockchain to monitor uh, transactions, and in theory, it would be uh, really secure. Um, and everyone, you know, it would all be very, very transparent and stuff like that. And it would be, ideally, it would be very efficient and safe and everything like that. The downside of it, of course, is that we don't really know how this is going to work. Are they going to, quote unquote, blockchain all of the digital currency that currently exists, like the digital money that's sitting in our bank accounts right now? Or is this going to be something entirely new? I don't know. And I don't think they know right now. I think they're just exploring this because we've got to remember as well that the Australian uh, banking system has in the past been a world leader in things like polymer money. Um, and our financial system is reasonably stable. So this is one of those other projects, I think, where they're like, this could be an area where our, our Australian economy could really thrive from... Uh, being a world leader in these new technologies, just like the Palmer banknotes, uh, how can we? What can we do? You know, to make this work and, and develop a system that then we can sell on to other countries and everything like that. Mm. I think that's where they're coming from. Uh, at least I'm being generous in that viewpoint. Um, what this actually looks like at the end of the day, I don't really know. Um, but I am kind of interested to keep an eye on this. And this may be something we talk about um, another time, you know, in the future as this kind of develops. There are some things going on in the background that they're trialing and things like that. So um, this may be, once it starts to mature or or there becomes a bit more meat to this, we may talk about this again. So like I always say, watch this space. But it's interesting. I think it's good that we're trying to modernize the the banking system because we have lagged behind the world in terms of you know how things take how long things take to clear and stuff like mm -hmm. that like it is getting better um but the fact that we can't reduce scams because there's not enough transparency within the banks and, and communicating to each other and all that kind of stuff um is just it it's quite frankly it's embarrassing uh that we're we're 
at, at it's 2023 and we're acting like it's 2003, you know, um, we need, we need to, things need to change. We need to get up to speed, I think, because we've fallen behind a little bit, but. Um, yeah, look, uh, exactly. And it's, it's, it's interesting how that sort of expands away from this. The, you know, the narrative that we're seeing is death of the check, but the fine print uh, on digital currency and digital IDs for every Australian, it's interesting how that doesn't get the uh, attention. It's like it's slipped in under the cover of the um, story about the death of the, the, the check. And it's an, it's an old age tactic. But uh, it's interesting just how how well it works, and it is interesting all the fine print that has some of the the real nastiness in the the detail. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I to get sorry about that. Yeah, uh, okay. speaking of nasty things. <laughs> speaking of nasty things uh, that have happened historically. Panda Bear, what's happened this week in Australian history? I've come from a land, land, land. Well, on the 7th of June, 1494, the Treaty of Dertisalus, probably pronounced that wrong, um, was signed dividing the world outside of Europe in an exclusive duopoly between the Spanish Empire and the Portuguese Empire. And wow. the long in the treaty coincide with the Western Australian border. So, so, so when, when just when, say that again, please. When what year was that? Fourteen ninety-four. So before Australia was even discovered, they put a line down the middle of the world and say this side of the world belongs to the Spanish and this side of the world belongs to the Portuguese. Wow. Yeah, the, oh. the Pope did it. it. It's it's what this is one of those really interesting quirks of history because obviously Portugal and Spain are right next door, uh, and they both had they both were the first to you know the age of discovery. Get on ships, go to other parts of the world, plant a flag, and claim it as yours. Um, they they started this right, um, but of course neither the Portuguese nor the Spanish wanted to ha- basically start fighting over these new colonies. Uh, so they divided the world up by drawing a line on the map. And that is also why Brazil is Portuguese, not Spanish. Uh, Whereas the rest of, you know, Central South America, even Mexico, they all speak Spanish, but Brazil speaks Portuguese because Brazil, the colony at the start that became Brazil, was on the Portuguese side of the map. That's also why Portugal had, um, uh, like Macau was Portuguese, and they the Portuguese were all through through uh, what we now call Indonesia and everything like that until the Dutch stole it from them. But yeah, that is definitely one of these weird quirks of history that's shaped our world even to this day. Okay, and moving ahead till 1998, Susie Moroni swam from Mexico to Cuba, covering the longest distance ever swum without flippers in open sea. But she was in a cage. That's right, yeah. As we all are. 
<laughs> wow, that's very deep and philosophical. I should I should say she she's an Australian, even though she's from Mexico to Cuba. She is an Aussie. That's why um, we're mentioning it here. <laughs> Back in my day, I thought she's quite a looker too. But you know, that's probably yeah you know, politically incorrect to say that. Now, so. Um, on June 8th, June 8th, 1951, the School of the Air officially opened. And when I was a young fella back in the 1970s, we still had the School of the Air. So it was a radio show that used to come on and teach students in the outback. That oh, cool. We have um, all these... Um, yeah, modern day teachers. So they used to have the School of the Air and they'd have things like songs, they'd have things like um, lessons and that from qualified teachers. Um, it's sort of been supplanted a lot by online learning now. So it was one of the original sort of things of online learning. In 1983, the first triplets resulting from in vitro fertilisation or IVF were born at the Flinders Medical Centre in Adelaide. So that was 1983. Is that, is that a world first? Yes. Oh, well done. Well done, South Australia. Well, that's, yeah. not that, that's, real, that's really not that long ago. No. I, I, I mean, I, I know it's, you know, it's, it was like 40 years ago, so you're talking a, a, a generation, but in terms of technology, it's not actually that, that long ago. I do. Remember, we had we went through the IVF un, un, unsuc, unsuccessfully in the the end. But we uh, when we the, the nurse was uh, taking us through the procedures to we had to sort of in, inject my wife with the, the 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 different different things in her her stomach. But she she went she went through the thing and she said, "Now you do it," and I cracked the. Glass top of the vial, stabbed herself in the finger, started bleeding on the table. We got that clean, cleaned up, and then when I got the uh, put the stuff into the syringe, I held it up and what I said, God, it's a big bloody air bubble in there. So look, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't the greatest sort of start to it, but uh, yeah, I, I often think of that when you you mentioned the IVF stuff. So you're <laughs> never going to be a doctor. No, if you need no. medical care and RD is the uh, first no. responder, just roll over and die. Don't, don't yeah, let it be. That's right. Call another ambulance. <laughs> uh, the first in vitro fertilisation was in 1978, Louise Brown. Um, in, in so, so, so that was actually so 1978 to 1983. That's that's reasonably quickly for oh, a, a medical treatment. Yeah. Yeah, that was the first triplets, anyway. So in 1993, yeah. on June 8th, 1993, homosexuality was decriminalised in the state of New South Wales, uh, which I believe was the first state to decriminalise homosexuality. So June 9th, 19, 1838, 28 Indigenous Australians were killed in the mile. Creek Massacre. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay, which is still, yeah, a bit of a touching point for everybody in Australia. 
1925, 10 people were killed in a train derailment in Traveston, Queensland. And what I remember very clearly, um, 1979, June 9th, seven people died in a fire in the ghost train at Luna Park in Sydney. Ah, oh, uh, yes. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, I, um, I was in I was in Sydney at that. Well, you know, I was I was living in Sydney then. Yeah, it was a, a and look, it was a horrible thing that it was actually the ghost train as well. I mean, that was nothing good about that. Yeah. I mean, wasn't it? Isn't it? There's still. Um, I know about this because I've heard that it was arson, or there's a lot of weird stuff about this. Um. It hasn't been been determined whether it was arson or not arson. Right. RD, what's your alibi for that day you were living in Sydney? I uh, was visiting a friend on the other side of the city. Yeah, very convenient. We need to look into this (laughs) deeper, I think. (laughs) Okay, June 10th, 1770, Captain James Cook ship HMS Bark Endeavour struck a reef within the Great Barrier Reef. Who cares? Okay. Um, (laughs) In 1916, a large majority approved a referendum in New South Wales deciding hotels should close at 6 o'clock for the duration of the war and six months thereafter. Early closing came into force in New South Wales from 21st July lasting until 1955. Hence, we get the term the six o'clock swill. So, where everybody at uh, mm. six o'clock would order beers, multiple beers, and yeah. um, 1916 and 1955, that's a long time. That's a long time. That's yeah. a really long time. And now we're arguing about two o'clock closing or three o'clock closing. So, um, in 1933, the Australian Women's Weekly magazine was launched by Robert Clyde Packer and his son Frank. So, and we the Packers. My mum loves the Women's Weekly. Um, I think she's bought everyone that's been out during her lifetime. Um, wow. There's some now, good recipes in it, but the rest of it's trash, basically. Oh, yeah, I've got yeah. I've got a copy of the Woman's Weekly cookbook, and there's a couple of ones in there that uh, they're it's like the Country Women's Association cookbook. They're simple, proven recipes, and I have to give them a thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. I like the Women's Weekly. It now comes out monthly, but we can't refer to it as a Women's Monthly, so for obvious reasons. So yeah, refer to it as a women's monthly full stop period. <laughs> oh god, you have to be then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a beautiful thing to witness. <laughs> okay. Um June eleventh. 1964, the Beatles began their three-week tour of Australia in Adelaide. 300,000 fans turned out to see the band drive in a motorcade from the airport into the city, which I believe is still the largest crowd to ever turn out for a rock group. Wow. For that matter. That must have been every person in Adelaide. Uh, Every person in South Australia. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it's only a little And all of them were more enlightened than Victoria. Yeah. But actually, I've just Googled it. The Adelaide population in 1964 was 668,000. So, yeah, that's almost wow. half of Adelaide. That's 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 a huge turnout, really. Yep. So I mean, there's not much going on in Adelaide, though, so you can't blame them. Yeah. And 1971, on June 11th, Neville Bonner was sworn into the Australian Senate as the first Aboriginal federal parliamentarian. What do Neville Bonner and Fernando have in common? And, and Fern- Sorry, Neville Bonner and Fernando? Who's Fernando? Song. Oh, the song Fernando. Um, They're both Aboriginals. Oh, oh. God. Okay, we're going to get... <laughs> 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 okay. Ah, moving on to June 12. Oh. Okay, I'm sorry I said that. Um, moving on to June 12, 1789, the Hawkesbury River was discovered by Governor Arthur Philip, uh, 60,000 years after the Aboriginal people discovered it. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure someone had discovered it before he did, but. Um, in 1886, William Spence chaired a meeting of Shearers in Ballarat, which was the decision to form the Amalgamated Shearers Union, which later became the Australian Workers' Union, so the oldest union in Australia. Very cool. Goes back a long way. And 1996 is a bit of a sad one. Two Australian UH-60 Black Hawk helicopters collided near Townsville, killing 18 soldiers. DK, mm. this is your cue. Oh, I mean, I don't, I don't have much to say about it. It's just terrible. Oh, absolutely shocking. So, um, been to Townsville. Quite a nice town. Apart from the fact that got taken hostage here, but we'll talk about it another day. That, 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 that sounds like a very good story. Well, that's, that's a little bit of a sizzle. I don't think we have time for that today, but we, we, we will come back to that one. i got to know that one. I was working in a prison teaching literature in the university and the prisoners decided it would be a good idea to take me hostage. But anyway, shit happens. June 13th, 1927. Whose birthday is it today? Uh, Born in 1927. 27? 1927, and they're still alive. No, 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 no. Don't oh, right. oh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't, what, what are they famous for? What, what's their <laughs> job? With Duncan. I'd love to have a beer. Oh, with... Slim Dusty. Yeah, Slim Dusty's birthday today. He oh. would have been 97, 96, oh. something like that. 96. In 1933, the Australian Antarctic Territory was established and in 1998, the ruling National Party government of Rob Orwich was defeated and a minority ALP government led by Peter Beattie was elected in Queensland. And that brings us up to date. Huh. Wow, very interesting. There we go. Very cool. I think it's time to crack a beer. (laughs) 
In which New South Wales city was cricketer? Oh, that question. Yeah, no, don't do another cricket one. I'm no good at the cricket ones. God, I'm hopeless at the cricket ones. Cracker. <laughs> surely, yeah. surely you've been drinking more than one beer today, uh, Panda Bear? Um, a little. <laughs> <laughs> I'll spin those bottle tops. What do we got? Okay. In which New South Wales town is the Bradman Museum located? Uh, this is a cricket one because I assume it's Don Bradman, the cricketer, but I don't know where he was born. He was born God, in South Australia. Oh, well. <laughs> wow. Wow, that puts a... I think he was born Barrel. Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah. I thought it was Victoria, but I mean, it just seems like every bloody state in Australia has some claim to to Bradman. So, so tell us, us, can you ask the question again, please, Panda Bear? In which New South Wales town is the Bradman Museum located? Is it Wagga Wagga? No, I just told you, it's Barrel. Barrel. Oh, shivers. Okay, right. Yeah, Barrow, New, <laughs> New South Wales, which is in the southern highlands of New South Wales, uh, very close to Moss Vale, which is also very close to Mittagong. Mentally, mentally, for some reason, I was hearing um, Ball- Ballarat. But, yes, uh, of course, I know where Barrow is. I often stay there when we uh, drive up to, to Sydney. That's sort of the overnight one before launching into Sydney the next day to see the Rellos. Yeah, uh, Barrel's a fantastic little town. It's uh, famous in Australia, has the most millionaires per capita of any town in Australia. You're kidding. Oh, really? No, really, because it's very close to Sydney and people can commute very easily. And it's in the rural area, so it's not a very big town. Um, There's three towns that are together, Barrel, Mossvale and Mittagong. which are also very close to Barrama, uh, which is the historic town, which uh, has one of the best pubs in Australia, as far as I'm concerned. And a big uh, jail, doesn't it, Barrama? Um, it has a jail there, which um, houses a lot of um, former police officers, former politicians. I've never been there. I've, I've driven through it. Uh, but I've uh, I've flown over it in a, in a black hawk helicopter. Actually, uh, huh. we we would fly from Nowra through like Kangaroo Valley and that out out towards Barrel and then and sort of turning and uh, come back. So, huh. um, yeah. interesting. So what, I, was, I, was at, uh, I was at the um, Pub one night, which is close to Barrel, and Jeff Harvey and. Oh, what's a cigar? Um, Jeff Harvey was there with... Daryl um, Braithwaite? No. Um, Angus Young. Kaysan. Um, oh, Jimmy Barnes. Jimmy Barnes. So the, they were both there. Jeff Harvey was playing piano. Jimmy Barnes was singing. Um, oh. Um, just having a beer, and they decided to sort of 
Put on a show. Why not? Um, they were locals at the pub, and apparently they did this quite often. So, but for a person that sort of comes from outside and sees two performers of that calibre getting together, you think this is cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that is very cool. <laughs> um, yeah. Then they went back to the beers. Did so. they sing? I love to have a beer with Jeffrey. <laughs> I love that song because my father-in-law's name is Jeffrey and we uh, sing it at him and he doesn't think it's that funny, but it's funny to us. So. Um, anyway, that's my little claim to fame for the day. <laughs> All right. Well, thank, thank you so much. Uh, and thanks, everyone, so much for joining us for another Australia Talks, the official podcast of the r slash Australian subreddit. If you have any feedback or suggestions for topics, please get in touch with us on the r slash Australian subreddit or email us at Australian subreddit at proton.me. Otherwise, join us next week for another episode of Australia Talks. And remember... At r slash Australian, we are Australian. Thank you and good night. Thank you. Good night. See you.